Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text for our sermon is the prophecy of Jeremiah as recorded in chapter 28 verses 5 through 9. Then the prophet Jeremiah replied to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. He said, Amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord fulfill the words you have prophesied and bring back the vessels of the Lord's house. And may he bring back all the exiles from Babylon to this place. Nevertheless, listen now to what I have to say in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets from ancient times who came before you and me prophesied war, famine, and plague against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, only when the words of that prophet actually happens will the prophet become known as someone whom the Lord has truly sent. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I have to confess to you, while many of you have complimented me for the announcement I make about what I call close communion and closed communion on communion Sundays when we have visitors, my heart always sinks when we have visitors on a communion Sunday. And more than one time in my ministry, having told someone nicely, I'm sorry, but the Lord has attached instructions and you can take this to your detriment. In fact, he set an example in Corinth where people were taking it wrong. They got sick and he even allowed some of them to die to set an example that while this is a blessing, if you don't understand or follow what he's saying, it can be a curse. And yet I've had people tell me, my church practices open communion and it's what God's word teaches and it's unfair, unloving and mean of you to deny this of me. I wish it were so, but I know they can take it to their harm. And somebody who insists on taking the Lord's Supper already shows that they misunderstand that we come to the Lord as beggars and walk away as rich children of God. Well, Jeremiah had to face something like that. He wished it were so, but he knew it was wrong. He knew it was a false teaching, but the other people didn't know it. And so today we're going to ask the question, how can you tell and even deal with a false teacher when you wish it were so? Now let's put our text in its context. Recall that Jeremiah was sent by God to tell people who would not believe him, God's had enough. You're the last generation. The Babylonians are coming. And they didn't listen to Jeremiah and the Babylonians came. But they set up a puppet government and they left Israel intact after hauling off the cream of the crop. Men like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, the prophet Ezekiel. They left everything else intact. And then the prophet Hananiah came along and Jeremiah was prophesying, nope, God's not done. You guys are not repenting. The Babylonians are going to raise everything to the ground. And here's what happens starting at chapter 28, verse 1. That same year in the fifth month of the fourth year, early in the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, the prophet Hananiah, son of Azur, who was from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord in the presence of all the priests and all the people. He said... The Lord of armies, the God of Israel says this, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. When two full years have passed, I will bring back all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried off to Babylon. I will also bring back Jeconiah, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, along with all the exiles of Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord. 
for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. How can the people know which one was the right prophet? Jeremiah says, "Uh uh-uh. And you and I know, because we have the advantage of being on the other side of history, that Hananiah misled the people, and the Babylonians came in, and they didn't leave two stones standing on top of each other in the temple or the city walls. They raised Jerusalem. They left it desolate. But how would the people know at the time? And let's be honest. If you were an Israelite, if this was your nation... Your heart would ache for this to be true. Only a heartless person would be like, nah, we want the Babylonians to come and and really take you guys down. So how can you tell a false teacher when you wish it were so? In verse 5, we're told, Then the prophet Jeremiah replied to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. He said, Amen. May the Lord do that. May the Lord fulfill the words you have prophesied and bring back the vessels of the Lord's house. And may he bring back all the exiles from Babylon to this place. Jeremiah says, I wish it were so. I want it to be so. Sometimes when you hear a false teaching that you wish it were so, it's okay to say, I'm not a heartless person. I wish it were so. Let me give you some examples. I've heard pastors and theologians say, God is a loving God, and therefore I cannot believe that a loving God would send anybody to hell. Amen. I wish it were so. I wish there were no hell, but if there were no hell, we would not have needed a Savior, would we? In fact, God has offered salvation to everyone in the world. So if someone finds themselves in hell, they truly know they have only themselves to blame. Or how about the popular theology of the day, the theology that is draining churches to the big megachurches, the theology that teaches if you follow the right things, do the things God tells you to do, then he's going to prosper you, he's going to give you a very loving family, and he's going to turn around and give you health and wealth, and everything in this life's going to be peace on earth. Don't you wish it were so? Don't you wish it was that easy if I just gave enough offering? But that's not how it is, is it? In fact, that's our gospel lesson. Jesus said, literally, the members of a man's household will be his enemies. He's talking to Israelites, but we can say the same with Christians. You may have sons and daughters, parents who are Christians, who actually have a hard time with the fact that a loving God had to become a man and die for us, that we can't earn our salvation. And that prosperity theology smacks against the words of Christ that tells us the world's going to hate you. The peace doesn't come in this world other than knowing you have peace with God and he's using that hardship for your well-being. Or how about decision theology? The idea that you present the facts to the person and then they make the right decision for Christ. Oh man, I wish it were so. Because I could read the books and the manuals that used car salespeople use. I could read the rules of logic and I could present that to people and argue them into being believers. But then again, wouldn't they be becoming believers for the wrong reasons? In fact, then wouldn't they turn around if they had a disease like Alzheimer's? Wouldn't they suddenly fall out of that decision? Sometimes we may want to say, Amen, I wish it were so. But you got to thank the Lord that your salvation is in God's hands. Because if it depended on your decision, you and I in our sinfulness would screw it up. So the first point I want to make, how can you tell a false teacher when you wish it were so? 
You're not a heartless human being. Neither was Jeremiah. Do like he did and confess you wish it were so. And don't be afraid to share the reasons why you wish it were so. But the biggest thing Jeremiah does to help straighten everything out begins at verse 7. Nevertheless, listen now to what I have to say to you in the hearing of all the people. The prophets from ancient times who came before you and me prophesied war, famine, and plague against many countries and great kingdoms. Jeremiah goes right back to the word of God. He says, let's step back and let's look at what you and I now call the Old Testament. Let's look at what has been recorded and see if your prophecy or mine lines up with what's normal for the scriptures. They only had to look back 150 years to the prophet Isaiah to know that the Babylonians, that that it was over for them. God had had enough. But even Jeremiah had the privilege of prophesying the most important message of the scripture. While Jeremiah predominantly preached law, you've turned your stubborn backs to God over and over again. And now he's going to let the Babylonians beat them into submission. But he also had the privilege of proclaiming the core message of Old and New Testament that God would take on human flesh and save us. The core message of the Old Testament isn't about prophecies of war and plagues. It's that we are sinners who need a savior and the savior's coming. Even what we think may be obscure books like the book of Esther tell us how God preserved the lineage of the savior until the time when that seed of Abraham would be born. And the New Testament tells us the savior has come. Oftentimes, it's just a matter when we hear a false teaching that we want to be true or we're not sure if it's true. It's just as simple as lining it up with scripture. In fact, there are cults that come to your doors and they'll they'll take a Bible passage out of its context and use it. And boy, they sound believable and they honestly mean it. I've learned sometimes all you have to do is open up to that section of the Bible and read the entire chapter. Sometimes you only have to read the verse before and after and you can show them that they're misquoting it and pulling it out of context. But the overall message of Scripture is that we need a Savior and we have a Savior. And if it doesn't line up with that message, there's a problem. See, the teaching that Jesus Christ has saved you is the core teaching of Scripture. And everything else, that's like the hub of a wagon wheel. Everything else is spokes that are attached to that. And if you get that wrong, you're gonna, you've got a broken spoke and the wheel's going to come apart. So line it up with Scripture. Take the Scripture in its context. See if it actually serves that whole pointing out of Christ. In fact, in the New Testament... There was a group of Christians who are forever commended because they were skeptics, but they were healthy, faithful skeptics. The Apostle Paul comes to the Bereans and they say what he's saying makes sense, but they don't believe it because Paul says it. They run to the at the time what they had was the Old Testament. So they ran to guys like the prophet Isaiah and Jeremiah. Does this line up with what the Bible says about the coming savior? And they said, yes. It does. And they stamp their approval with the great amen to it. And the Bible forever commends them. The Bible wants you to be skeptics. But it wants you to be healthy skeptics. Go and search the scriptures. Does this line up? But you know, ultimately... Jeremiah has to deal with the fact... And I think it's interesting how the Hebrew constantly just calls Hananiah a prophet. It's meant to confuse you and I as well, just a little bit. We know the outcome so that we understand these people didn't know which one was telling the truth. 
So after saying, let's compare this to scriptures, then he says in verse 9, as for the prophet who prophesies peace, only when the word of the prophet actually comes true will that prophet become known as someone whom the Lord has truly sent. If somebody prophesies wars, famines, plagues, rumors of wars, at least that's what Scripture usually prophesies. But if they're prophesying peace, you're going to have to wait to see if that lines up. Now, even the wars, rumors of wars serves the coming of Christ. So, you know, if it's not serving that, we, then we're misunderstanding it. What's Jeremiah saying? Be patient. If you don't understand, be that skeptic like the Berean and be patient while being skeptic. The Lord's going to reveal it. And as Hananiah himself had prophesied in, in chapter 28, verse 3, he says two full years and then the Babylonian's back is going to be broke. The yoke's going to be broke. So they only had to be patient for two years. Sadly, they weren't. We know the outcome of that story. In the years that I've been alive... Constantly, in spite of the fact that Jesus Christ said, no one knows the last day but God the Father. And Jesus at that time was in his state of humiliation, so he even hid it from himself. Now he knows the last day. In spite of the clear words of Jesus in Scripture, every year there are men and women who think that God was so foolish after saying that as to lie and accidentally hide a Bible code. And if they crack that code, then they can figure out the last day. And every year it happens. And sometimes it becomes really big, doesn't it? Ooh, I remember back in October of 2012, that was it. There was a guy who made national news. The world was coming to an end. I slept well that night knowing that day the world was not going to come to an end. Now, oftentimes Christians get confused with premillennialism and things like that. And they think there's going to be a time of peace on this earth before Christ's final come. That's not what the book of Revelation teaches. It makes it very clear that mankind will have wars, famines, plagues, rumors of wars, and the church will be persecuted right up until the time Christ comes. And it'll look like the church is losing. And every generation says, oh my gosh, what's going on with our youth? And yet the church lives another generation. The book of Revelation makes it clear that because Christ already won the victory on the cross, his bride, the church, will be triumphant because he's already won the victory. What to do when you're not sure if it's a false teaching? Be patient and God will reveal it. I've already mentioned end of times predictors. Be a skeptic like the Bereans. Say, you know, uh, I'll be ready and watch this and watch how it falls apart. Now, with false teachers, we're losing a generation right now in our churches. And it's not just our congregation that, that loses. I've already mentioned that prosperity theology taught by mega churches that come off and they, they actually don't convert anybody. They just steal sheep. Well, let me tell you, the grandfather of that, the man who's given credit for what they do with one of the largest churches in the United States as he nears retirement age, it wasn't too long ago that he took a look back. People wanted plays that just taught nice moral lessons. They didn't want to get in the deep end of the pool. They didn't want sermons that condemned sin and then said, now you have a Savior who's washed that sin away. They didn't they didn't want to sing edifying hymns. They wanted to sing what, what they, how they feel about God, etc. Suddenly, near the end of his ministry before retirement, he looked back and said, Oops. I gave itching ears what they wanted to hear. He wouldn't admit that he was a false teacher, but he said, All I gave them was infant milk. I never taught them how to swim in the deep end of the pool. 
I never gave them the meat and potatoes of scriptures. You would think that would have a ripple down effect and those megachurches would start saying, maybe we should start feeding the meat and potatoes and get into the deepest scripture. But they don't. Or what about those guys we see? In, and television is a wonderful medium to reach out to people and so is the internet. But those, those shysters we see that are screaming, send in all your money and Jesus is going to make you rich. Send it, make sure that check's rid out to my ministry. Have you ever noticed how the more popular they become, the bigger they are, the bigger the fall? How many times there are such big scandals that end up revealing that they were shysters from the first place? How can you tell a false teacher when you wish it were so? Be patient. If you can't tell from the scriptures itself, God will eventually reveal it. The last thing I want to cover is when it's clear that you have a false teaching, what are you to do? Chapter 28, verse 1 said, That same year in the fifth month of the fourth year, early in the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, the prophet Hananiah, son of Azur, who was from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord in the presence of the priests and all the people. This was not a false teaching in which he went up to Jeremiah and said, I think I'm having dreams and I, I think they're true, but let's discuss this privately. Huh? -uh. He went full forward in front of everybody, shall we say, the gas pedal to the firewall. So what does Jeremiah do about a publicly made false teaching? Then the verse five, then the prophet Jeremiah replied to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. And again, in verse seven, Jeremiah says, nevertheless, listen now to what I have to say in your hearing and the hearing of all the people. When a false teaching is publicly known, we can't be quiet about it. We have to speak up now. Right now, because of the COVID virus and everything, there's all kinds of, and I think that like Hannah and I, I think they're actually well-meaning Christians who are posting prophecies on YouTube and everything. And I could donate a full-time ministry to making YouTube videos showing where their prophecies don't serve the coming of Christ or line up with Scripture. Maybe we can't do it for the whole entire world ourselves. But you can warn your friends and co-workers who tell you, have you seen this video? No, that's a false teaching that will poison you. Oftentimes I hear parents as their as their children are running off to to those churches that give itching ears what they want to hear. Tell me, well, if I speak up, there'll be no peace. My children won't listen to me. And certainly when we speak up, it's to show them the true love of God. But if we remain silent as I've already said, the central teaching of Scripture is salvation in Christ alone. And whenever we get one teaching wrong, it will always impact that. And the biggest fear is to one day see our children burn in hell knowing we kept our mouths shut. Now, yes, there is a point where you want to have peace in your house and there's a point where you can warn and then drop it. But if we're afraid to ever speak up, we may regret it. Jeremiah rebuked publicly. And again, for you and I, we have the privilege of knowing Christ has come and we're waiting. So we don't just give the law in rebuke publicly, but we show how the truth serves Jesus Christ and their eternal salvation. I told you, very hard for me when I have people come in and scream to me that they don't like being told they shouldn't take communion with us this morning. I wish it could just be come one, come all, because it is a wonderful meal that does strengthen our faith. But if they don't know the real presence of the Lord, if they don't confess what we confess, if they're not even believers, 
they can take it to their own harm. Sometimes we wish it were the opposite, but for their own good, we embrace the word of the Lord because we do want them to be saved. So how can you tell a false teacher when you wish it were so? Confess when you wish it were so. You're not a heartless human being. But line it up with the scriptures. See what the scriptures have to say. Be patient and God will reveal it when you're not sure if it's right or not. Don't run out and embrace it. Just be patient. And God will make it clear whether it's true or false. And when it's proven to be false, publicly rebuke the false teachings. But do it in a way that can point to Christ and the salvation they have. Amen. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, you are wise and powerful, good and gracious. Your mercies are new every morning. Each day you open your hand and provide for the needs of your children on earth. We praise you for every grace and blessing. Strengthen your church in all the world. Let your comforting message of salvation in Christ Jesus be proclaimed to troubled souls everywhere. Use our ministries and offerings to extend your healing and your hope. We bring you our requests for the various structures of our society. Bless our national, state, and local governments. Grant us civil servants who are worthy of honor and respect. Grant prosperity to our businesses and industries. Give employers a sense of fairness towards their workers and employees a feeling of joy and pride in their workmanship. Help us find satisfaction in all work well done. Invigorate the schools of our land. Give success to every effort that helps students read, think, and communicate in ways that will promote an informed and responsible citizenry. Arouse curious minds to discover the wonders of your created order. Give us teachers and students who pursue excellence. Strengthen the families of our country. Give fathers and mothers a renewed commitment to be good parents. Give children and young people the wisdom to regard their parents as your representatives. Lead us to love one another as you have loved us. Gracious Lord, you have assured us that the good news of salvation in Christ will be despised even by the members of our own household. But you also assure us that many will receive it with thanksgiving. Therefore, we ask you to empower us with your love so that we will fulfill your will in sharing the good news of free salvation in Christ with our family and friends. Let us love your word so that we keep coming to it and will thereby be equipped to share it with the community around us. As the COVID virus continues to spread, Lord, we pray that you protect us, but we pray that you open our lips to use this to show that you are still in control. And even this virus is being used by you to serve the good of those who love you. Hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Gracious Father, we pray boldly as Jesus taught, with the confidence that you will hear and with the faith that you will respond for our welfare. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.